This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman. In this episode, I'll be talking to Rob Warlow, who is the Crystal Palace writer for Football.London. He's on to share his thoughts on Crystal Palace ahead of this match against Fulham. I look forward to this interview, but before I do anything else, I have to welcome my guest to the show. Robert, welcome to Cottage Talk. Thanks very much. Nice to be on. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming on because uh, the Fulham supporters always like to know the thoughts of uh, writers and and obviously fans as well of the other side. So let's just start off from the very beginning just to get an overall picture on uh, Crystal Palace. I was just thinking about this, so this is a little added topic for you. Could you just tell us a little bit about Crystal Palace from last season and when Roy came in and basically the transformation of Crystal Palace, and then that'll lead up to us talking about Crystal Palace now. Sure. Um, Well, for starters, it was as bad as you can uh, as bad as you can get, really, for losing the first seven games last season. Um, it's sort of unprecedented territory in the Premier League. No one else has done that and uh, and survived. But it, it just didn't work out. They, they tried it a different um, different way with Frank De Boer at the start of last season. And it quite clearly, early on, didn't, didn't look like it was going to work. And they made the change after uh, just four games in the Premier League for him. And brought Roy Hodgson in, obviously, uh, an experienced manager who's... Um, yeah, I think he, he still had a little bit of sort of proving a point um, to do after what happened and how it ended with England. But he he's obviously done a great job when he was at Fulham and at West Brom. Um, I think it's sort of the perfect size club, um, perfect manager, sort of perfect fit for, for the club really at the time. And uh, yeah, he came in. They, they lost the first three games when he took charge, but you could already see that the signs were there. He was starting to you know, get things working his way and... and as soon as they got that win against Chelsea um, in October last year, obviously Chelsea were the champions at that point. Um, right. It was unexpected, but it, it kind of set the tone really for the rest of the season and, and helped them turn things around. I think there was always the the sense that Palace had enough within the squad to get out of the position they were in. It was almost a false position, um, obviously from such a bad start, but they were playing catch-up from, from then on. Um, and then... Slowly but surely, over the, over the coming months, you know, he, he did get things going and picked up points uh, against the, the record for Palace last year, and in, in from just after Roy took charge um, against teams outside of the top six was brilliant. They only lost uh, a couple of a handful of games, um, including the, the first one or two um, when he took charge against those teams that they were going to be competing with around the relegation zone, the bottom half. Uh, he got a very good record going against them, and they played well against some of the top teams. They, they were a bit unfortunate um, at times not to get the points they perhaps deserved. 
but they they struggled in the second half with of the season with an injury crisis, which again sort of unprecedented. They had 12 players out at one point, um, and that's going to be difficult for any team to cope with. And it, it did sort of highlight the the lack of squad depth that they had because they were relying on the same 14, 15 players for you know large chunks of the season. But when all the players sort of got back to being fit towards the end of the season. You, you really saw the true Palace and what, what they could do. Um, they had an unbeaten run towards the end of the season, climbed up the table and, and, and ended up finishing 11th, which, you know, if you'd offered anyone, any Palace fan that in September last year when they'd lost seven games in a row, I think they'd have uh, bitten your hand off for that. But yeah, it, 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 Roy was you know, pivotal to that and, and getting yes. Palace going again um, and getting them playing a way that was, you know, not just sometimes you see it when, when a team's in you know, struggling at the bottom, you play the football that's effective to get your points. But actually, by the end of the season, players were playing really good football to watch. And it wasn't just you know grinding out a result here and there. It was actually they were taking teams on. And they've got the players to do that. So I think you always knew that if they played to their strengths, they could could get results. It's very interesting. We'll be talking about Roy in just a few minutes. But uh, with Fulham, he could actually do both. He could grind out points on the road, but at home we could play uh, a very good, uh, attractive brand of football at times. And uh, that's what's interesting about him. He can pretty much do both parts there. He can just find a way to get you the points, but he can also, especially at home, at least for Fulham's time, he really could uh, play some very good football. And uh, I enjoyed watching them, especially at home. And Craven Cottage became a a fortress under under Roy, and that's uh, very interesting. All right, but we'll talk about him a little bit. Let's now transition. Let's get going talking about Crystal Palace this summer. So let's talk about the friendlies. I, I was just doing a little research and noticed they went undefeated, which is always a good thing. What What are your thoughts about uh, the uh, summer uh, friendlies? Yeah, they've been doing well in the friendlies. They, they had a preseason tour of uh, Scandinavia where they went to Sweden and Denmark, and they played two games out there. The first one was against the Danish first division side who'd just been relegated from last season from the top division. Um, but they they were a good side actually. I went out there for and covered uh, both games and against Helsing or the Danish side they they played very well um, and you know gave Paris a good a good good game and it ended up two two um, which was probably a fair result on the on you know reflection of how the, the game panned out and then they went and beat uh, Roy Hodgson's old old side in Sweden uh, Halmstad six uh, one in uh, in Sweden on, in their second game and that was almost a sign of things to come really because it, it showed that. You know the attacking players were on the same wavelength. You know, playing well together. Um, they've got different players on the score sheet, and yeah, they came away from that really feeling quite optimistic. And then they've come back here to to England, and they've played three first team matches since then. Uh, they beat Oxford United, who are in League One now, three one, after going one 0 down. So they came back from from behind in that game. Then they beat Reading, who are obviously in the Championship, and they, they beat them four 0 and it was really a comfortable comfortable win it could have been even more I mean they, they were far superior to Reading on the day and then on Saturday they played uh, Toulouse from uh, France's Liga and yeah they, they won 4-1 there they, again they fell behind um, early on in the game but came back and by the end could have been you know could have been more it could have been six or seven they had enough chances to score more goals and I think that's the, the from Harris's point of view that's the pleasing thing they're getting people different people on the score sheet they're scoring goals converting chances and it does give them optimism going into the new season because they they finished last season well and the way they've been playing in pre-season looks like they're carrying that on. Yes, that's uh, very good 
analysis there because I, like I said, I've really been looking into Crystal Palace the last few days and uh, been impressed with what I've been reading and what I've been seeing. So um, very interesting uh, stuff there, my friend. All right, let's now talk about the transfer window. We are recording this Tuesday afternoon, England time, so things could change fairly quickly over the next 48 hours. But let's talk about the transfer window this summer for Crystal Palace in general. Yeah, it's it's been slow to get going. Um, they they made one signing early on, which was a, a pre-contract agreement that was in place. Uh, it was announced back in February, and Vicente Gaeta, Spanish goalkeeper, um, signing from Hitafe at the end of his contract. So he joined on the first of July, um, and that was, as I say, it was all, already in the pipeline that that was going to happen, and that was confirmed obviously when he when he moved to England. Uh, after that, it's been a little bit. A bit too quiet from the Palace fans' perspective, I think. They were hoping for a few more signings, but they've signed two players in the last week, um, which is, I suppose, kept kept those fans quiet now because you know they're, they're a bit happier. They've, they've signed two players. The the key area for them was midfield because they lost Johan Kabay, uh, who right. was out of contract this summer, um, and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who was on loan from, uh, from Chelsea last season, was brilliant for them. Obviously got a place in the England World Cup squad as a result of his form for Palace. Um, there is still talk about whether he might come back. Um, I saw as, we that. Say, yeah. as we say, there's, there's still a couple of days left in the window, and it's still a possibility because he hasn't been, he wasn't involved on on uh, Sunday for Chelsea with the Community Shield, and it looks like Chelsea is signing another midfielder. So you know he's going to push him further down the pecking order, and he he needs to play games. He said that himself. You know, after having a full season last year with with Palace, albeit had an injury in the middle, but his first season playing regularly in the Premier League. Um, and earning that place in the England squad off the back of it, he said that he needs to keep playing first team football. And if that's not going to be at Chelsea, he needs to look elsewhere. And I, I could see another loan potentially happening there. Um, I think Palace aren't the only ones who are interested, but they certainly will be trying to, to, to get him back if there's any possibility of that in the last couple of days. Uh, but at the moment, with him not coming back, it was it was a priority to replace him because he was, like I say, the regular last season. So was Johan Kabay in the middle of the right. field. And um, they were two big holes that they had to fill. And they've done that now by signing uh, Sheku Gaiate from, from West Ham and Max Mayer, uh, right. German international, who was at Schalke, uh, and he was on a free transfer. Um, but they've had, uh, well, I just said it himself. Pretty good budget. So, yeah, not bad. Yeah, pretty good this, you know, towards the end of the window. Um, they've spent, they've had two free transfers and one under 10 million. So that's pretty good considering yeah. that, what Hodgson said, you know, when we were out on the pre-season tour, they were working with budget restrictions because right. they've had, you know, the, the wage bills been quite high in the past and they've had a couple of big name signings, big money signings in the last couple of seasons. And he said they've still been paying off part of those transfers, which has obviously affected how much they've got available this summer. So I think all in all, considering where they were and, you know, the, the, the lack of signings up to last week, this last week has actually, you know, turned things around for them. And I think to decent signings, one with Premier League experience, one with a lot of potential. You know, Max Mayer is only twenty two. Um he's he's been highly rated when he's been at, at Schalke. Um and getting him on a free transfer is quite a coup, I think, for Paris because there are other bigger clubs interested. Okay, excellent. I do have to ask you though about a a player that you know, again we're recording this on Tuesday. I'm curious how this all plays out. Wilfred Zaha, do you mm-hmm. expect him to stay with Crystal Palace? I do. I think it's it's too late now for anything to to happen um, because they wouldn't have time to get like, they'd struggle to get replacement. I think absolutely. I think Paris would struggle to get replacement whenever um, 
with Wilfred Zaha because of what he brings them. I think he's, you know, he is the talisman at Palace. He's the main man, and without them, you do worry for them because you only have to look at last year and the stats that they didn't win a point without him last season when he was out injured. They didn't, get, they didn't pick up a point in any of the games where he wasn't playing. So it, it sort of underlines his importance to the side, and I think it's imperative that he stays. And from what I understand, and you know, from from being at the games and speaking to the players and that. They've seen no change in him, so I don't see any reason why he would go now two days after the window. Okay, excellent. All right, let's go back and talk about Roy. Roy is obviously a huge figure at Fulham Football Club, and uh, I remember, obviously, it's not that long ago I, since uh, he was with Fulham, uh, you know, and he obviously uh, was a huge figure with the club, and now he's with Crystal Palace. And what's interesting about him is that he, He's had some interesting time with, with different clubs. Didn't work out with him at Liverpool. Certainly worked out with him at West Brom. And seems to be working out at Crystal Palace. But I want to get your view of his time. You've already talked a little bit, but I, I have a feeling it's going to be positive. So talk about Roy at Crystal Palace and what he's done. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been brilliant for Crystal Palace. You know, he's, he's a, he was born in Croydon, so I think there was a little bit of you know romanticism about coming coming back and being his boyhood club because he was he was a supporter of Crystal Palace as a as a as a boy. Um, you know, he grew up said in the ter- you know on the terraces of Southampton Park and, and watching Palace play. So I think there is that that kind of feeling that it, it, it was just a good fit coming back to, to Crystal Palace, the, the club where you know he, he was a fan as a, as a youngster, um, and. Yeah, it's, it has just worked. You know, it's what Palace needs at the right time. Um, an experienced head to come in and and sort out the, the the problems that were there because you know they didn't start last season well. There's no hiding from that. They, they were it was a bit of a mess when he came in, um, bottom of the league and hadn't scored a goal, hadn't picked up a point, and you were wondering where the next goal or point were coming from. But he he did slowly but surely turn things around. He got players playing to their strengths and you know got the best out of players like Wilfred Zaha. And Andros Townsend, who he'd worked with before at England. Um, yes, Christian Benteke didn't have a great season last season in front of goal because, for different reasons, he, you know, I think confidence was a was a big factor. After he, sometimes with strikers when they go have a barren run, it just it eats away at them. And you know, you could see he was snatching at chances and not sort of taking his time. And it, but still, he Roy had him playing in a way that helped the team, even if he wasn't scoring, you know, he still tended to play, his all-round play was not too bad, even without the goals. And I think if, if Benteke, if they could get him firing this season, they could have a very good season because he's he is a natural goal scorer. We've seen that in the past with Aston Villa and Liverpool. And, yep. um, you know, if, if they can get him firing, they've got the firepower in that squad to, to push on and potentially be a top 10 side. I mean, you look at how they were playing towards the end of last season. And like I say, it was sort of free-flowing football. They had, you know, he got got the best out of the players in the positions that sometimes not even in the natural positions. I mean, he had he was playing with like a narrow mid, uh, midfield four with Ruben Loftus Cheek and James McCarthy, who are central midfielders by trade, playing wider of Jan Kabay and Luka Milivojevic, but in a slightly more advanced role. So they were getting up, uh, getting forward in support of Wilfred Zaha and Andrus Townsend, who he ended up playing as two forwards and. You wouldn't naturally say that either of those are forwards. They're you know wingers by trade, but he got the best out of them playing in a more advanced role. And now Wilfred Zaha is being talked about as a starting up front, you know, as a striker. He can still play from that wide, of course, um, but he is you know a contender to be playing up up front now. So it's how he's it's how he's got the best out of the players, and he made you know he did make them a lot 
better defensively than they were when he came in. I mean, they still had the odd game. I mean, I think back to the Arsenal one when they were 4-0 down after 25 minutes and the game was gone, but they were rare, you know, those occasions. They He got them playing a, a solid way against the top sides, particularly at home. I mean, they were very unfortunate to lose out to last-minute goals against the likes of Tottenham and Man United and Liverpool. Um, but that was, you know, all down to Roy and Ray Lewington, how they got the team performing, how, you know, working on the training field. And I, I think that's that's one thing that shines through really is, is the work they do on the training field. You can see it, the results of it on the match day. Yes, uh, and that's something that I'm familiar with. And uh, I'm glad that you talked about basically getting the most out of these players and basically playing to their strengths because that's been what I remember from Roy Hodgson. He's obviously doing it again at Crystal Palace. That's going to lead to really get into this matchup and start with key players for Crystal Palace. You've already named a few that I think are, and that would be Zaha and Benteke. And uh, one thing that I've been reading, and you can certainly talk about, you've already talked a little bit about Benteke. sounds like he's had a good summer and that he might be ready to take that step back to where he was, say, at Aston Villa. So who are the key players for you in this matchup against Fulham? Yeah, I think those two certainly, Zaha and Benteke. I mean, Zaha, against any team, I think he's, he's the one to watch for Palace because he's got that ability to make something happen out of nothing. You know, you, you, you only have to give him the ball and he's unpredictable. You don't know what you're going to get from him. Palace players don't know what they're going to get from him, you know, but he's he's got that magic and he can make things happen and he will score goals. You know, he, he's added that to his game in the last couple of seasons. It was it was a criticism of him in the past that he didn't have the end products, but certainly as, he, as he's maturing with Palace, he's, he's adding that to his game. He's got more goals, more assists now, and certainly he's a danger man that, you know, any team, and particularly obviously the weekend with Fulham, I think they'll have to be wary of him because he's got that ability within him. And yeah, Benteke, you're right, he's, he's looked better this, this summer. I mean, he... He came back on Saturday. He had he missed two games um, after picking up a knock in Sweden, uh, but he just it was it was sort of unfortunate timing. He just scored a goal when he was on the pitch at, against Halmstad, and then came off because he took a knock to his knee, and he was then didn't play against Oxford or Reading, and they had Alexander Serlot, a Norwegian striker, playing up up front instead. Um, but he came back on Saturday against Toulouse, and he looked a completely different player to last season. He was, you know, chasing, harrying for the ball. He he was trying to take players on, which you didn't see that last year because I think the confidence, like I say, affected him last season where he wasn't scoring goals. And it's, I think that's natural with any striker. If you're not you're not among the goals, you know, other parts of your game will be affected. And I think he, but this summer, certainly the last couple of games that I've seen him play, he looks very positive. I spoke to him on the weekend after the game, and and he said, you know, he's physically and mentally ready for the season. He knows that he wants, you know, he wants he's determined to put last season's frustrations behind him. He obviously missed out on the Belgian World Cup squad as well, which I think is an extra thing to spur him on. I think you know he wants to get back in that Belgian squad, and he knows that it's only down to him. It's his performances that will do that. And I think if he can get get a couple of goals early on in the season, he could be set for a really good season. Because you know, as we as we mentioned before, he, he scored goals in the past with Aston Villa and a few at Liverpool. Um, he scored 15 Premier League goals, 17 in his first season at Palace, three last season, which you know by his his standard any you know, wasn't good enough. But I think this season you could see a hungry Christian Benteke who could, you know, really really do some damage in the in the Premier League. Right. And I've seen that from him. I've seen both sides. Uh so it wouldn't shock me if he has a good season rebounds from that because he's has the ability. So it'll be interesting to see if that is uh how he plays this season. All right. Let's go into just a, more into this matchup. Let's talk about the strengths and weaknesses of Crystal Palace to you. 
Okay. Uh, strengths, certainly going forward, I think Palace will create chances against any team. They've got pace, they've got trickery on the wings with, with Zaha and Townsend, which they choose to play that way. Um, Townsend, you know, he's, he's very good at getting the ball in the box for Christian Benteke. And as I mentioned, if they can play to his strengths, which clearly is, you know, his aerial ability, then they're going to, you would expect them to score goals because Christian Benteke in the air is in a match for any, any defender. And you know you're in for a tough game, regardless of whether he hasn't been scoring goals or he has been. He's still got that ability in the air. And I think we've seen it in pre-season that that's, that's the way they're playing. And, you know, he, he does look a lot more confident this season. So I think going forward, certainly Palace will... I, I don't expect many nil-nils with Palace this season, but that way. I think there's going to be a lot of goals because they that's just the way they play. You know, When they're away from home, they're set up to be able to break on the counter. And even when they're at home, you know, they've got that ability to take players on and backed by the crowd at Selhurst Park. You know, that's, that's always like a 12th man for them. And I think you will see this year, I think Palace, you know, provided, as I, as I said, they, they keep hold of the key players like uh, with Zaha and Anders right. Townsend, who've been they've been linked with moves away, but I don't see either of them going. I think they will be there um, for certainly for the first half of the season, and um, I think that they could be set for a good a good season. Okay, and uh, the flip side, the, any weaknesses, glaring weaknesses that you're seeing heading into this matchup? Uh, I wouldn't say glaring weaknesses. I think there's, there's been question marks among some certain Palace fans among about the goalkeeper situation um, in the past. Okay. Um, Wayne Wayne Hennessy is is I, I still expect him to start on on Saturday. Um, he's, as I mentioned before, they, they did sign Vicente Gaeta this summer, um, but he doesn't speak much English. He's still adapting to the English game, and I think he'll take a few weeks before we might see him, you know, really challenging Wayne Hennessy in, in uh, for the gloves. So I, I expect Wayne Hennessy to start. And to be fair to him, you know, he, he does get some criticism from Palace fans, but actually his performances towards the, the, the latter stage of last season were very good. You know, I think when he's had that extra competition behind him and he knows that, you know, he's got a battle for the shirt, he's actually, it's brought the best out in him. And I think, yes, that there, you know, if you look back at the time of past, there are a few errors that you could point, point at and say, you know, he should have done better. But I think that's probably the same with any goalkeeper. You know, any, any error from a goalkeeper is highlighted. And Wayne Hennessy is, yeah, I, I still, still think he's a, he's a decent goalkeeper in the Premier League. Um, I think some Palace fans would like to see Gaeta starting. Um, they, you know, they, they sort of saw that as a good signing when he came in in the summer. But I, I still think that he will start on the weekend, Hennessy. Um, provided he's fit, he, did go off, uh, he didn't start on Saturday against uh, Toulouse. That was because he picked up a knock in um, the warm-up and they didn't risk him as a precaution. But I'd, I would expect him to be fit and, and I would expect him to start and go. I wouldn't call him a weakness, but I think if you're looking at anywhere that perhaps Palace fans have looked at in the past, then that's probably one department. Goalkeeper, okay, excellent. All right, let's uh, get your thoughts on Fulham. Uh, Fulham obviously entering the Premier League, winning the playoff final. I was there. Thankfully, I got to watch that. It was unbelievable. And they've actually had a very good summer transfer window, I think. But uh, there's still work to be done. There's still places they need to improve. But I, th- I think that they have definitely upgraded in several positions, and we'll see what happens in the next few days. But I just want to get your overall thoughts on Fulham headed into this match. Yeah, I think Fulham. I mean, I watched quite a bit of them last season in in the Championship um, on you know, television highlights programs. I wasn't at, wasn't at games, but I saw them. Um, and obviously, being um, close to to Ryan, who covers Fulham, um, you know, one of my colleagues, uh, you know, I, I know quite a bit about them. And 
certainly the way they played last year, I think they were Premier League side in waiting. Um, they, you know, the, the way they play football under Slavisa Jukanovic, they've got a very good style. And I think that will suit them coming up into the Premier League. And I think, like you say, they've had a very good window and made some good signings. I think it's just about how they gel now with those new signings and right. how they fit in early doors. Because, you, you know, a newly promoted side often comes with that momentum from, from promotion and you would expect them to start the season well. But I think when there's when you've got a few new signings to add into the mix, then it does depend on how they start, how they adapt. Because, Probably agree with that. you know, we've seen it in the past that some teams... It works and it clicks early on, and t- you know teams carry on that momentum. But it could also go the other way. And if you change, try and change things too much, you know, I mean, there's that saying, isn't there? If, it, if it's not broke, that's why fix it. Then yeah. I think you know with Fulham, it, it, it worked last season in the Championship. Certainly that second half of the season. I mean, no one probably expected Fulham from where they were in sort of October time to be challenging to get promoted, and yet you know they were very close to getting automatic promotion in the end. So I think. As, as a, you know, looking in from the outside, I think Fulham have got all the tools they need to do well in the Premier League. Like I say, it's just about how those new signings fit in and sure. how it how it works early on. Absolutely, it's uh, very interesting when you talk about all the additions, and uh, I think several of them are upgrades. But it could take time to gel. We're gonna have to see how that all plays out. All right, let's now go through a section I'm calling matchups. I'm just gonna ask you who you give the advantage to. So let's start here. Let's talk about Fulham's attack, which actually is uh, very good, and I had a good look at it against Celta Vigo, but I, I've been watching the uh, friendlies, and uh, I think the attack is definitely going to be a strength. So who do you give the advantage to with Fulham's attack versus uh, Crystal Palace's defense in general? I think it's going to be a good battle. I really do. I think you know, Fulham have got threats up front. Obviously, Mitrovic, we know what he's about, and he's going to be a, provide a battle for James Tompkins and Mamadou Sacco at the back for, for Palace. They've got the threat of Ryan Sessignon, which, you know, I think a lot of people, he may, he may be newcomers to the Premier League, but I think a lot of people are aware of him purely because of what he's already done in his short career, you know, and right. the interest from other clubs. I think he's he's certainly one to watch. Um, it be interesting to see how Andre Scherler does. Um, I think I think Fulham probably, as you, as you say, have got goals in them, and I would expect them to carry on from last season in that respect. Um, as it, how, how it happens on Saturday, I don't know. I, I, I think... I think Fulham will score. I, I don't think you know, Palace will keep a clean sheet. I think will, uh, Fulham will have chances in the game. And, yeah, I think I expect them to get the better of Palace for at least a goal, maybe two. Okay, excellent. This matchup has me concerning, I'm not going to lie to you, because uh, there are going to be some new faces here. So mm-hmm. you've already talked about the danger that Crystal Palace has going forward. So what do you give the advantage to with Crystal Palace's attack versus Fulham's defense? And there are going to be new faces, like I just mentioned. Yeah, um, I'd have to decide with Palace on this one. Um, I said earlier on that the threats they've got going forward and the ability they've got with Zaha, Benteke and Townsend, they seem to be firing at the moment. And I think, like I mentioned, I can't see uh, Palace keeping a clean sheet. I'm sorry, I can't see Fulham keeping a clean sheet on Saturday either. I think there's goals in this game. I agree. I totally agree. And uh, what's interesting, both teams, based on what we're talking about, want to attack. So this should be an entertaining matchup that I'm looking forward to. All right. Yeah. Another matchup. This is going to be interesting, Rob. Definitely want your thoughts on this because this has been a strength of Fulham Central midfield, the midfield three. Who do you give the advantage to here between Palace and Fulham here? Uh, this is probably the one that's harder to call, I think, because with Palace, it's, it's likely to be a different midfield to what we've seen in the past. It depends on who starts for them because 
they they could play with Kuyate and Mayer. Um, Milivojevic, I think, is, is a shoe in heel star. Um, but they they've been playing with Jeffrey Schlupp and James McArthur in midfield in okay. in recent games. And I mean, that's a solid midfield as a three. Those three. Um, and then with Zaha and Townsend sort of on the wings playing in support of Benteke. So I, I think it does depend on how they go because Cuiata and Maya, you know, as good as the signings as people expect them to be, they haven't played, you know, yet in a in a Palace team. Um, Cuiata had 17 minutes against Toulouse on, on Saturday. You can't judge a man on that, you know, and Maya wasn't involved. So I think it depends how, how Palace line up. I think with Fulham, you know, Tom Kearney will start, you know, I think they've got, They've got a solid midfield um, at Fulham, and as I said before, if it's not broke, don't fix it. You know, I think if they carry on with what they had in midfield, um, then they've got every chance of doing well. Um, yes, you've got new faces, obviously, and it depends how those players come in and gel. But right. I, I think if Fulham carry on playing the way they were last year, they'll be difficult for Palace to to control in the midfield. Okay. Um, they, they've got players who can do it, obviously, Palace. But I, I think this is the one area which is is probably harder to call in the game. Okay. Excellent. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, Sarri play in the midfield three. I expect yeah. uh, Stefan Johansson to be the man out coming off yeah. the bench, and he'll probably take his place. That's the way it's looking at, and uh, he is uh, something to watch so far, and uh, I look forward to seeing him in a real match. All right, this one's mm-hmm. fascinating because uh, I love both of these managers. Uh, I do. I mm-hmm. love Roy. I love Slavisa. Slavisa approach has been you know basically they do what they do you know again it's going to be on the front foot they are going to attack so who do you give the advantage to between the two managers this is fascinating to me yeah i agree i think it's it is interesting to see how the vc cannabis does in the premier league you know he's obviously he got watford up the knee and then didn't get the chance to take them forward in the premier league so i think it would be interesting to see how he get how he fares in uh, in the top flight i think I'd probably just give the edge to Roy because of his experience. Um, right. I think, you know, he knows how to win games in the Premier League. He knows he's obviously going to be boosted by the fact he knows, you know, a lot about Fulham and, and his surroundings at the weekend and, you know, where, how I expect him to get a very good welcome from the Fulham fans. And that, oh, that's I expect obviously, that. I highly expect yeah. that. Yeah. And, you know, I think, it, I think that could play to, to hit, well, could play to the Palace's advantage. I mean, Palace will obviously have the, the, Knowledge of going into this unbeaten, you know, from pre-season. I know people say pre-season results don't matter, but getting a winning feeling and the momentum from that can only help. And I think Palace, from where they finished last season and going into this game, I think they're they're in a good place. You know, I think if if they hadn't had those signings, I think that's just giving them a little boost now. But going into the season, and certainly if they if they keep hold of Wilfred Zaha, that's going to be the biggest bonus they can get. Okay, excellent there, my friend. All right, let's end with predictions. Uh, I want to get some thoughts on both teams before I get your prediction for the match. So let's start here. What does Crystal Palace need to do to win this match? Let's not talk about draw. How do they win it? I think it's it's about keeping Fulham out um, because I think, as I said before, they'll score goals. Um, it's whether they can score one more than Fulham. I think it's uh, it's all about how they how they can contain Fulham's attacking threats because. Right. As we said, we've got you know they've got them. Um, there's no doubt. All sides it. have it. Yeah, all sides have it exactly. And but Fulham particularly, I think they've got you know players that can hurt you, and the style of football that they play, they're going to create chances. So I think for Palace, it is going to be about how they manage, you know, defensively against against Fulham and and what they can offer. Because if they can get on top and win that battle, 
then I fully expect Palace to go down the other end, you know, and score goals. So it's it's a case of if if they can keep Fulham out, then I think Palace could win it. Okay. And the flip side, from a Fulham perspective, because this is a, a Fulham podcast, what does Fulham need to do to win this match? <laughs> Probably the same. <laughs> trying to <laughs> trying to contain trying to contain the Palace yeah. threats because you know we'll be die hard if. if We've seen it before with, with other teams. They've you know doubled up on him, and he still managed to get the better of them somehow. You know, he only needs one one chance at, yeah. at taking a player on, and he can still do that. So, I think they've got to they've got to try and keep him quiet. It's no no easy task because he is a good player. You know, there's no there's no doubt that the reason people are talking about him as you know being linked with Chelsea and Tottenham is because he's a good player. You know, he is one of Absolutely. the best players, if not the best player outside the current top six. So I think it's natural that, that Fulham are going to have to look at players like him and think, right, how do we stop this guy? Because if if they don't, if they don't have a plan for that, then he's going to cause them problems all day long. So I think Fulham have got to be, you know, on their game defensively if they're going to get a, a positive result out of the game. Yeah. And Listen, I know it would be- benefit uh, me as a Fulham supporter if Zaha went, but if I'm looking at overall, I am so glad that Zaha came back to Crystal Palace from Manchester United to that mess and came back. Uh, I like to see players play with, you know, a club like Crystal Palace, like a Fulham, you know, like a West Ham. You know, you don't always have to go to the big boys to have a very good career. And I, between you and me, I hope he stays at Crystal Palace. I like to see players like that stay instead of yeah. just going for the the bigger club, Rob. That's just that's just where I come from. That's just the way that I feel about players. You know, and again, listen, Fulham have some players that other teams want. Obviously, Ryan Session is at, at the top of the list. And uh, I just always look at it. The grass isn't always greener. I think maybe Zaha figured that out, so maybe he'll stay. Yeah, I think for, personally from the experience he had at Man United, I think you know that, that is going to play a part in any decision because it didn't work out for him there. I think you know, right. he accepts he accepts he was too young when he went and made that move. You know, perhaps wasn't mature enough for it, but you know he, he is now. He, he certainly would be ready to play for one of those sides, and you know people have said that about him. But I do just think it works for him, at Palace. You know, right. he's, it's it, it is a Sometimes good fit for him. Yeah, it is. You know, I mean, it, it's a good fit for him at Palace because. He knows he's loved by the fans. He loves the club, you know, and it does just seem to work. You know, he, he I think he thrives off being the, the, the main man, the one that they turn to, and you know, when they're in, a tr- in trouble. I think he thrives off of that. If he went to a bigger club, who knows what would happen? You know, would he play every week? Probably not. He'd, be, he'd become a squad player at a top club, and I think actually he needs to be playing week in, week out, because that's when you see the best of him. Yeah, and that's my fear with Ryan Session. That's why I, I, I want Ryan Session to stay at form for as long as they can hold on to him. Twofold. One, obviously, I want him to be a part of what, what Fulham are doing, but also for his development as a player. You talked about Zaha, and I look at Zaha a little bit as a cautionary tale with what happened at Manchester United for someone like Zesignan to stay, work on your game, and then that big move, if you want it, will be there down the road. And uh, mm. But, again, going back to, to Palace, I, I do hope that Zaha stays for your sake. If, if I'm looking at it on the other side, obviously, it would benefit Fulham if he's gone, but <laughs> I'm just talking about from a from a Crystal Palace perspective, and for someone that watches a lot of football and seeing players move, when I think that they, that the fit is so good where they are, I hope he stays, and I'll just end that there. But I can't let you go without getting a prediction for this match. I'm looking forward to it, my friend. What's your prediction? As I said, I think there'll be goals. I don't think it's going to be a nil-nil. It probably will be now. Now I say that, but I think <laughs> I don't uh, think so. Honestly, I no, really don't think so. No, I don't see it being. I, personally, I, I can see it being. 
I'm not trying to sit on the fence here, but I can see it being a two-two draw. Okay. There's goals. There's goals I on both sides, um, and I think I think both sides, you know, will be playing for the win, obviously. But I think yep. if it came comes to sort of 86 minutes and they've been going at it in each other for the whole game and it's two-two, you know, you wonder are they, is someone going to be pushing for the for the winner or are they going to sit back and say, oh, do we sit on this and get you know take a point from the first game? I don't really think I decided I've got that ability necessary in them to do right. that, um, given who's on the pitch. You know, I think that both sides will probably still go for the win, but yeah. I can just see it. Totally I can agree see it ending up as I can see it ended up a two-two. Okay, excellent. Listen, Rob, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, tell everyone how they can follow you on Twitter and uh, also uh, where they can find you on Football Down London, because obviously you're a writer covering Crystal Palace for them. Sure. Well, on Twitter, I'm at Rob Warlow underscore CPFC. Uh, on, on our website, football.london, um, you can go tabs at the cross, and you can, there's Arsenal, Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Spurs, West Ham, you can click on the drop-down for Crystal Palace. That will take you to our Crystal Palace page where there's all the news, obviously leading up to the game this weekend and you know, transfers and everything else. Um, what was it being a busy week with the deadline? Um, but certainly we'll, I'll be um, covering Roy Hodgson's press conference ahead of the game and all the latest news. I've got, you know, spoke, I spoke to Christian Benteke and a couple of other players this week ahead of the game. There'll be interviews from them uh, going oh, out over the next couple of days. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be building up to, to Saturday's game. Um, I'll be there on Saturday at Craven Cottage and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, excellent. And uh, definitely highly recommend you looking at what Rob's writing about Crystal Palace on football.london. Highly recommend him. I've been reading the last few days, just catching up with what's going on because obviously there's a lot of other stuff going on phone, but I'm now starting to get ready for this matchup. And uh, uh, football.london has been a good source for learning and basically getting up to snuff on uh, Crystal Palace. So Rob, thank you so much for joining me today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay. That's going to do it for this episode of Cottage Talk. For my guest, Rob Warlow, I am Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.